right. We'll go ahead and get started. We'll have about an hour and 15 minutes together. Um, everybody got notes? Looks like. Yes. Great. Um, so we are being recorded. So hello, those in the digital world that will be listening to this later. Um, we'll have some discussion. And so if there's things that you wouldn't want to get picked up on the mic, then you could come and chat with me about those later or, you know, just be aware. Um, and if you don't want to share in our time, that's okay. But um, this will pick up some of it. And so just to give you guys that heads up. And this will be available to you later or to people who went to the other session that wanted to do both and vice versa for the other. So if you really wished you got both sessions, you'll be able to listen to it later if you'd like. Um, I'd like to open up uh, with God's word and then a word of prayer. Would somebody be willing to read that uh, top verse there, James 1, 19 through 20? To get us started. Can you go? Thank you. So understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. James 1, 19-20. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we are so grateful for how you've provided this time um, that we can come together and, and safely understand your will and your word on anger. We often uh, are, are quick to anger, we're often quick to speak, and we are so grateful that you teach us otherwise and help us, empower us to use this time to reflect and to learn from you on how you would have us interact with our own anger and those of children. Um, our anger, if we just leave ourselves to our own devices, we will not produce the righteousness of God. And we need you, and we need to turn to you with our anger as we approach children. And we pray that this time would be used well and wisely, and we give it all the glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, uh, my name is Daniel Pratt. Um, grateful to be with you today. And the first thing I want to share is that you are not alone if you are struggling to work with an angry kid. Um, very much a real deal in the thick of it in my life, and uh, it's it's tough, it's challenging, and so I'm grateful that you have the, the willingness to come and, and talk about that. We can learn from each other. My, my main qualification for being able to be up here is that I've struggled with this, and I've done some reading, and I want to provide some resources, but... By no means any of these suggestions that they seem idealistic or if they don't seem to fit your particular approach, that is totally okay. I just wanted to make sure that I gave you all some tools, some some ideas of how to say something that might be received better by an angry child, um, but you can adapt it, you can customize it, um, you can disagree with it, uh, engage with it however you'd like, but you don't have to leave your thinking that just because you haven't used these words, I haven't either. These are more idealistic kind of, if we were to approach it in a way that was, you know, calm, direct, gracious, that was what I was trying to formulate and when I was uh, coming up with some of the dialogue that you'll see in here. So I just don't want to, I know it's very easy when it comes to parenting, you can get all kinds of different direction, advice, and it can be really discouraging sometimes. It's like, oh, that's how I'm supposed to parent. And it's just not helpful. And so I don't, I want to make sure you don't take that away from our time. If any of that comes across that way, I wanted to give that disclaimer. Um, so this can be something that um, for the majority of us here um, uh, or on in the digital world, I just want to reflect momentarily on what brought you here 
um, to this session, Strategies for Helping an Angry Child. Um, and what do you hope to take away from the session? You, Not everybody has to speak, but I just encourage you to reflect on it. And what are the situations you're grappling with or the ones that you anticipate you'll be entering into? And just take a moment to reflect on that. And if anybody would like to share um, any of that, something that you might want to make sure that I address, feel free to share. Sunday school, sometimes I feel helpless with an angry person, mm-hmm. and I don't know, I feel like I need to do something, but I'm not sure what to do, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to teach teach a lesson or something, and, mm-hmm. and just don't know what to do. Yeah, you know, uh, maybe take them out into the hall and talk to them. Um, seems like with some kids that works, and um, others it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like if they're younger, it kind of does. But it's, and I, I spelling correction. Oh yeah, oh, I was going to say to say that, but I didn't know. helplessness, <laughs> helpless, helpless, no helplessness. <laughs> um, but some of the older kids, and um, they uh, they just kind of seem defiant, mm-hmm. and like I can't do anything to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't even want to be here. Mm-hmm. My grandparents, my parents brought me. Good words, if I spelled them correctly. Um, so helplessness, kind of action. What do we do? Like with a put it with a question mark because like. What do I do, especially in that position, if I'm not the parent? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's my role? Um, How much pressure to apply? Yeah. Like, who needs more pressure? Who needs less? How do I know that? Um, and then just blatant defiance, right? Yeah. Like, um, you can't do anything to me. If you're not my dad, you're not my mom. Even if you are, you can't do anything to me. <laughs> Maybe especially if you are. I'm sure some people are doing some stay-at-home teaching. Uh, it's not easy. You're following up on assignments not done. There is a lot of roles that people have. And what do I do in what role? Okay, that's really good. Really good words. Anybody else have anything that they would like to add that they want to make sure either gets addressed or recognized? In the time. So I have two younger girls, um, and sometimes it feels like their emotions are so intense that I don't know how to even help them land the train. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. I want to withdraw, and they want to scream. It's just like yes, intensity. What do I do when it's an intense emotion? There was a book I came across that was. Um, I think it was raising a kid with intense emotions. And like every time I came across, I was like, I need to read that book. I didn't finish it, but I started it. And it was, yeah. Yeah. What do I do when it's an intense emotion? Just sometimes it's just like, whoa, maybe I shouldn't intervene and just let this play out. Or maybe I should intervene because this is terrible and toxic. Um, Good. Well, 
I appreciated um, Tim Kimmel's book. Um, I'm going to go grab it just so you can see the title. Grace-Based Parenting. He wrote this book several years ago. Uh, he's a pretty dynamic speaker. If you can ever hear him speak, he's really good. He is uh, in our men's breakfasts. He's had a, a couple um, times where he was the speaker on the video, the DVD, and uh, Jay's talked about how he's a person that if we could get him out here, he would really appreciate, especially for his work on parenting. In his book, he has some good insights. You'll see a lot you will find no shortage of parenting books. Um, the thing I appreciate about, appreciate about his book is that he grounds it in a Christian worldview to to kind of contain the amount of things that you're going to get out there on the open market for what it is to parent and how you parent. It's probably not going to be as you know littered with specific advice, but he tells stories, and I found that really helpful to kind of bring it into context. What are some of the main things that we want to focus on? Is parents. And so that brings me to my next question. Um, again, you can interact with them on yourself if you're here digitally or in here in the room, and a few of you could comment if you'd like. We've learned a lot this weekend about anger, that anger is not not necessarily a bad emotion. God created anger. God is angry at injustice and evil. And if we get angry, that is part of that is us being made in the image of God. And so if you're angry as a parent, that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's probably something that's going on that is not good, and uh, we want to be able to reflect on that. But from what you've learned so far, how can you can you connect anything about raising kid children or responding to an angry child from what we've talked about this weekend? Um, yeah. I can't remember the term now. It's the something displeasure of mercy, constructive displeasure of mercy. Yes. And in that chapter that began that, there were four steps of um, initially, well, this is hard by memory, but patience was mm -hmm. the first one, mm -hmm. and then forgiveness, and then charity, mm -hmm. and then the fourth one. I, I think love was one of them. Right, which yeah. I think charity. Charity was the love, yeah. But, but that really, I think, can help in working with a child. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard though, because I relate to the intensity with a couple of grandkids. Mm -hmm. And so I love, I love their emotions, but also sometimes they're really hard to, yeah. they can be very intense and angry mm -hmm. all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So those four steps are really good if, if you're you know, allowed to have that minute. We can, we can really easily identify with the displeasure part, probably. <laughs> but the constructive and the mercy are much more difficult. Yeah. Um, what are some of your ultimate goals in raising kids? I, I was just going to say goals, but I thought um, Tim Kimmel, I appreciate it, is what are your, like, are we really thinking about just raising kids that show respect on the outside? and that feel bitterness on the inside or right there's just are we just going for good behavior or are we trying to go deeper than that and so what do you think are some of your ultimate goals like just thinking across the lifespan of your child reflect on that a moment does anybody have any answers that might be a harder one to answer and that's okay too that would be a hard one for me to answer too and that's where it helps to have some help but if you guys have any ideas I'd love to hear them the eternal focus. Eternal focus. It's your child. Yeah. It's even hard for adults to have 
absolutely. That's a goal. Yeah. Desire. Yeah. Good. Both, I believe it's important that they have a solid understanding of who they are, who they are, with their own individual values and mm-hmm. thinking and decisions. That they're mm-hmm. actively participating in who they are as their own individual people. Mm-hmm. They're not just becoming something, somebody else. Just telling them who to be, right? They're actually deciding who they are going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good, good comment. My kind of changes with the circumstances or <laughs> different scenarios. Loftily, yes, I want them to love Jesus and God and devote their lives to that. And other times, like, I just hope that you're not a horrible person. <laughs> yes. Yes. When you grow up, that's miserable for everybody to be around. <laughs> Sometimes anything short of like serial killers, like I want. <laughs> I feel that on a deep level. I'm like, if you leave my house, that's some days. That's all I'm looking for. Right. Like you're not the 18 you want to leave, and I want you to leave, and you're, you're not going to be in jail when you leave. Yes. I felt that. I felt that. Leave something. Leave the house. Yes. Yes. My yeah. gone, but at least we have a roof. You you left with something that you're not going to live here. Um, you want to get out of survival mode. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's every day. I'm in that. You survived. I survived. survived. We all survived. Right. And going from there to the next step and get out of that, so I can get to the eternal focus. Beautifully yes. said. Yes. We all know God wants more than that. Not just survival. So yes. How do we get there? Yeah, that's good. I think especially now, right, with being isolated, it's like, can we make it through this together um, in one piece? I just, as you were both, all three of you were talking, I thought of this kind of continuum of eternal to immediate, right? Like oftentimes when there's anger involved, it gets pushed very quickly over to the immediate. How do we address this immediate situation? What do we do here? And the challenge from this weekend, I think, is how can we keep in mind the eternal in those very moments? And, and God can do that. That is very hard for us to do. This is good. See, I love just doing discussion at the beginning because it kind of just teaches the class. I don't even really have to. <laughs> <clears throat> so as you go down in your notes there to the parenting puzzle, I uh, highlighted some of the things that I really took away from Tim Kimmel's book. Grace-based parenting. He talks about um, his goals of raising adults of spiritual passion. That's how he defines it: is having spiritual passion. And um, to do that, children need a love that is secure, a purpose that is significant, and a hope that is strong. A love that is secure, a purpose that's significant, and a hope that is strong. And he really fleshes that out in his book. And I think that it's possible to raise kids where you can have one or two of those things, but not all three, right? It's possible for you to have a love that is secure and a hope that is strong, but not really have a purpose to life, right? You may have seen people like this, where it's like they, they might feel confident. They know they can always return home, but they're not really sure where life is supposed to go. There's kind of a lost feeling on what's the direction, how do I do it? Not to say that you don't have that, even with a strong sense of purpose. It can be hard to know exactly what to do, but there isn't even really any guidance there. It's possible to have a purpose that is significant, a hope that is strong, and and really not feel loved securely in your home, right? 
and you might have seen or experienced some of this yourself. Right? It's not really, home isn't the place I want to go to when I'm feeling insecure, when I'm, when I'm overwhelmed. Um, and it's also possible to have the love that is secure, a purpose that's significant, but no hope, right? I know what I want to do. This is what I want to achieve in life. I feel loved at home. But I don't really see this going anywhere good. Like, where? what am I even doing? Why am I putting forth all these efforts? What is my hope? So he t- talks about um, two major pitfalls that's fueled by one major emotion in parenting. And he talks about parenting through fear. He talks about various ways that we get caught parenting through fear. And two outcomes of that that he describes are overly judgmental or overly legalistic parents. And he's, he's primarily working with Christian families. But I think this could relate to any. And I'll just share with you his definition of, of that. He says, The judgmental parents spend most of their time making sure their family is better than the ones around them. They live to monitor everyone else. And so he defines that as, uh, he defines that every parent has a theology. Parenting is a theological endeavor. And so how we view God determines how we parent our children. And so for, for these parents that are judgmental, their advice to their children, and he's not saying that they literally say this to their children, but that it's kind of your, as Jay says, your practical theology, how you end up living with your children looks like this if you were to walk take a look at it from an outsider. Their advice to their children is, God is watching you and so am I. And you may be bad, but you're better than so-and-so. Right? So these would be parents that would be really focused on you do the the right thing and you do better than than that way. And he says that their, their exhortation to their children would be, if it feels good, it's probably wrong. So then the other parents that lead by fear are legalistic parents, and they spend most of their time trying to make sure their family does everything right. They live to keep the score of their good deeds, and their practical theology is this. You owe God, so you better get busy. Or you may be bad, but if you try harder, you can ultimately please God. Do you see any themes to these kinds of methods or theologies? Surfacey, easy, mm-hmm. um, short term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just focused on the now, making life easier in this this moment. It's more immediate. Yeah. There's not much focus on like the heart, right? Like what you're actually feeling or thinking on the inside. It's it's your behavior. How you look on the outside is what is most important to me. And so he defines grace-based parents as those that spend their time entrusting themselves to Christ. They live to know God more. Their children are the daily recipients of the grace these parents are enjoying from the Lord. If you watch them in action, they appear to be, appear to be peaceful and very much in love with God. They are especially graceful when their children are hardest to love. Their advice to their children would be a mixture of you are a gift from God, go make a difference. You may struggle doing the right things sometimes, but you are forgiven. He calls grace-based families a breath of fresh air. So, I, I was, when I was grappling with his book, 
just a, a little bit of self-disclosure, I, I was having some trouble sleeping. And I, I didn't have enough time to study. I was feeling like, oh, I want to make sure I have things to offer people. But I started listening to the audiobook as I was trying to go to sleep. And I couldn't sleep, and I wonder if God was just keeping me awake for a little bit longer because it got to the end, and it was an abridged audiobook, and it ended with this quote, and I just remember being kind of washed over me with a sense of peace. I was like, oh, okay, I think I can do that. That reframed my whole focus for what parenting is about. He concludes with, treat, treat them, your children, or the children you work with, the way God treats you. He does it in his grace. And here's the good part of it. If the only thing you get right as parents is his grace, everything else will be just fine. I find that really comforting. Any thoughts about anything from Tim Kimmel? Challenging, comforting, a bit of both? Well, that quote is challenging. <laughs> yeah. Not always so graceful. Yeah. Absolutely. And the thing that I appreciate about it is the, the, the quote before, the daily children become the daily recipients of the grace. These parents are what? Enjoying from the Lord. And so I don't even think necessarily, I mean, we can struggle with giving ourselves grace, right? Or going to God when we need grace. And that's huge is when we struggle, are we modeling? Or like, Would other people see that we are laying our heart out before the Lord and bringing ourselves to Christ when we are struggling, when we aren't graceful? Because we can't really give it to ourselves. At least I don't feel like I can. If I'm just left to my own devices, I'll be really hard on myself, and um, I'll try to perform. But to humble ourselves before the Lord and just bring those struggles to Him and let Him be the offer of grace to us and then it just emanates from us I think something that's always really helpful that um and I feel like it was from a parenting class that Jay did one time mm -hmm. but it really helped me because I think like in our day and age there's like the pressure to have your kids like keep up with everyone else mm -hmm. and stuff like that and um, I'm really thankful for my mom because she just never did that and so I think that, like, something that I remembered helping me was not, because I asked my sister one time, like, if you didn't care what our mom thought, like, if you didn't care what so-and-so thought, like, how would you do it? Because I think we're influenced a lot around, you know, by what other people are doing. And it's really a bad thing. I've done that, too. Because one time my mom was saying, why do you ask the kids what they want to do? You should say you should do this or that. Like, you shouldn't be asking them, because then if they say no, and that's from the, um, what was that book? The Collapse of Parenting. Mm -hmm. I love that, and I listened to that on the audio. But it was really powerful because it made me think, like, I shouldn't, like what you were talking about with their outward actions, but then it's not really correcting the problem because it'll just keep getting bigger when they get older. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if you have a lot of kids, then that could be tough, too. <laughs> yeah, a lot of kids that want, wait, you didn't ask me, so now I'm mad, right? Or wanting to be in control. Yeah, it's, it's subtle how it plays out. For us, I, I can relate to that, what you're saying. That's really good. And that encouragement, parents to parents or us to each other, it's okay to be the guide, to give options, to say, this is what you should do. This is These are your options. It's not going to be a buffet of life. You're going to have your options limited. We've been thinking of that for uh, one of our sons is 
likes to have the say, likes to be in control, and often comments on how much better it is as an adult than a kid. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And we're we're just thinking to ourselves and talking about it, like, you just wait. There there are limits on adults too. Trust me. And um, he obviously doesn't get that, but. He will someday. I have that conversation with my son, too. <laughs> yeah. He yeah. always says that. And I'm like, you still have to follow the law. You still yeah. have to report to a boss. You still have to, like, you still have all of these. There's always authority, right? Yes. That's the yeah. ultimate authority. There's always authority. So you can't just get away with whatever you want just because yeah. you're an adult. Yeah. 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 In fact, it's just more complicated. Yeah. <laughs> There's just more rules. You still can't do what you want, and you have to pay bills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have more freedom now as a kid probably exactly. than you do as an adult. Exactly. You only live in your room. We have to go to the You can nap if you want, okay? Right? Yeah. It's have to be encouraged you to. Yeah. Nap. Please nap. <laughs> Express your freedom in that way. <laughs> so um, I, I came up with a little acronym here. Not that these are like things that are ripped dri- straight from scripture or research, but I just came up with them because I thought when, when we're dealing with an angry kid, it's very easy to get angry ourselves. And if we don't have something simple in our mind, we're not going to have anything at all. So if you pick up on one of these words, maybe it'll be of help. Um, so I, I made it the acronym ACT, and I framed it as a guide to act on for those moments when you are getting angry yourself or the kid you're interacting with is getting really angry. And so the first A, three A's, don't ask me why I did three A's, three C's, and one T. I, I just did. Um, awareness, attitude, and action. And so awareness to me is is important because we as the adults i think have that responsibility to have a little bit more awareness than the child of what's going on we can reflect on things a bit better than they can and we can think okay they're doing this and this so maybe they're feeling this and so but i ask first what am i feeling who agrees with me here some of the hardest thing about interacting with an angry kid is not getting angry yourself Right. I agree. You agree? Okay. Yeah, I, do. I see seeing a lot of nods. And digitally, I hope you agree too. It is very hard to stay calm. So if you can focus just on that, you'll probably do better than if you do nothing else at all. So asking yourself, what am I feeling right now? Where do I feel it? How do I know it? What am I thinking? Maybe it's because I'm feeling angry. Um, what are they feeling? This can be a little bit tricky sometimes if you really think about it, and this could be tricky for us too, is it might look like anger, but it could be something else underneath. How many times have you, um, let's say you stub your toe, and then there's a little bit of a pause and then you shout. What was happening right before that? What was was that? Trying to stay calm in your mind. Trying to stay calm in your mind. What was happening right before you were trying to calm down? I'll say bad words. Not say bad words. <laughs> what was the what was the what was the first feeling you had? Pain, hurt, right? That's also yeah. What I was gonna say. The first thing he was gonna get there. See, the lady identified that one, and the guy identified the anger, yelling, screaming, hitting, punching. Did I say hitting? Um, <laughs> but there's pain. There's hurt, right? This hurts. And if there's somebody watching, maybe there's embarrassment, right? These are the things that tend to hit us first through those vulnerable feelings, but then it's expressed as anger. That's really common, right? And so what are they feeling? It might be that they feel embarrassed, right? Or they feel powerless or helpless, right? We might be feeling helpless because they feel helpless. 
right? I have yet another person telling me what to do. So question, what, are the, what am I feeling? What are they feeling? Even asking that question is going to help you, even if you don't have an answer, because you're starting to reflect on what might be going on. So I put here, an awareness of your feelings and your child's feelings is a good starting point to any response. A good solution, in my opinion, starts with a good understanding of the problem. Have you ever heard that saying that, um, I think it's in, in uh, well, it's th there's this one, which is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. But there's also, like, the best uh, treatment starts with a good diagnosis. So I think if you diagnose the problem well, the treatment usually follows pretty naturally. Often the children are behaving badly because they feel bad. Have you ever found that to be true? Waking up in a bad mood. What's going to be the What's the day going to be like? Right? Or what is the What is the kid in Sunday school? What is he coming from? What did he just get dropped off with? Or the feelings that were left? Or she? This doesn't mean, and I think that sometimes, some parenting books might make it all about the feelings. Like there was a book um, that I read some of called um, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And I think there's some really good stuff in there, but it does seem like the emphasis is on if you, if you recognize the feeling and if you help with the feeling, everything else is going to be okay, right? And I think that there's some limits to that, right? Because let's say we're extremely good at intervening with our kids' feelings, but what about teaching them how to manage them at the same time, right? It's like, I'm not always going to be there to talk you through your anger. So I think we've got to be thinking a little bit beyond just managing the feelings for them or responding to them. And this doesn't mean that the kids aren't responsible for their behavior. It just means that there's often a feeling fueling the, the behavior. Um... And I think that understanding the feeling helps intervene with grace. Have you ever noticed this? Like when somebody's angry and you might think something like at first, wow, this person's really disrespecting me or they just don't seem to care. But then you might think, let's say they get picked up from Sunday school and let's say the parent grabs them, pulls them roughly. You might then have a little bit more of a, oh, okay. Maybe that's why they were angry. Maybe that's what they're living in. Any experiences like that where when you see what is underneath the surface, it helps to be a bit more gracious? So that is my thoughts on awareness. Is there anything else anybody can think of that is good to be aware of when you're trying to respond to somebody, a child that's angry? Well, if you're not aware of, really aware, if you, you might suspect a physical issue. Mm. Like, you know, you know, it's a physical issue. Mm -hmm. It's, it's hard to be happy when you're not feeling good. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. It's just what's going on inside you. Mm -hmm. So attitude. How am I coming across? What is? What are they seeing from me? Right. How am I coming across to them? How are they coming across to me? That can influence us, right? Kind of like Jay was saying, when somebody comes up to you and you're angry and says, calm down, right? <laughs> or I think you're upset, or in a condescending kind of, right? How you say it, it's, I think um, what I've heard it called is like a downward inflection versus an upward inflection when you speak. So if I say, I think you're upset, 
versus it seems you're upset. It sounds different, right? And so one is kind of curious, open. The other one's like, oh, yeah, I got you figured out, right? <laughs> or judging or something. Yeah, the judgment, right? Like, ooh. Right. So how am I coming across right now? Maybe that that will influence how they respond to me. Maybe that's been part of what led them to where they are now, and then I can be aware of their feeling. And we've all heard this and probably hated it when we heard it first. Sometimes how you say something is as important as what you say. Sometimes more important. You might say all the right things theologically. You might have the best reflection in the world about what they're feeling, but you might say it in a way that is received very poorly. It feels very judgmental. And then action. That was one of our things that came up. Is like, what do I do? How do I respond? And how should I respond? And to really add to this, this might be really hard to do in the moment, but how might they respond to my response? Right? Thinking of a couple, okay, so before I do this, can I think about what they might do in response to my response? Is that helpful? Have, do you have any examples of times when you've done this well? I know we all have examples of times we haven't done it well. <laughs> Where you were about to do something and you thought, you know what, that's going to lead to this. Or I've done that before. It's probably not going to be good. Kind of a funny story. Um, when our son was, I think he was like two or three, we were at Joanne and, you know, the gift cards that are by the registers a lot. <laughs> well... He had, one time we were at the store and he had stolen like a chapstick or something. And I found it later and it, this is, it's so stupid, but it's just honest. In my mind, I thought, oh my goodness, he's going to be a thief. He's going to steal when he grows up. <laughs> and like, yep. Because I have a relative that, you know, kind of had some issues with that and then ended up in jail. And it's funny thinking back to it now because I got upset with him because I had found out about the chapstick. I think when we were at my sister's house and he had it and I said, where did you get this? And he said... Um, and you know, then I like put it. Well, I, we ended up going back to the store, and I had I told him he had to say sorry and give it back. And my mom's like, "Oh, you know, he's so little." And I said, "I think he was like three or four. But I said, "Well, it's important. I, I want him to know that you can't do that." Well, shortly after that, like it was probably like a week or two later, he had taken the gift card at Joanne, and then it was in the envelope, and I found it, and I said, because I, I got upset again, and I thought, "Why did he do this? Like we just talked about this." And I explained that even though, you know, there wasn't money on it, you still can't take something if you didn't pay for it or whatever. And then he said, well, Mom, I got it for you because I know you like shopping. <laughs> I didn't get mad, but I, I was glad that I didn't, like, get angry again because I think that, like, our fears are, like, stuff that we think, and they're so little. It's like, I think, I don't know, I've learned a lot since then. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's just that sometimes we do things and then, when you do pause, it, it makes a huge difference because sometimes I think that's like the pinpoint second that I can see where kids start lying. Mm -hmm. Because then if you're mm -hmm. like, why did you do that? And then they have a little, you know, like when we think back to when we were kids, I used to do stuff all the time and I remember my mom saying stuff and I thought, oh, thanks, she's so upset. <laughs> and I always try to think that. Like we see our kids and they're smart and stuff, but they still have a child's mind. Like they're not thinking the way that we are. Yeah. Sometimes they don't know why they do stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. And we jump to our worst fears. Yes. You're going to be a sociopath as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it really is. Because I sometimes you get more frustrated if they keep doing that behavior. And it's yeah. like, you just have to 
rein it in a little. Yeah. yeah. Feels the moment instead of jumping. And he doesn't steal anymore, so just that's yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it <laughs> worked. <laughs> I know, maybe I would have never gotten a gift in the future, you know? That's great. That's a great story. So I think we are more effective when we think of the likely outcomes before we act. It's hard when we're angry, isn't it? It also helps to review the outcomes of our actions as we go, to try to have an awareness of how's this working, how's this working. It doesn't mean we have to second guess everything and say that we got it wrong and be anxious all the time, but that um, just to kind of check in. And sometimes it helps to have another person to check in with. Like, this is what I did. What do you think? And actually kind of elicit some feedback. Um, And if it's not working, it might be time to change something up. You might have had a certain strategy with a certain kid that you've tried over and over, and it can help to reflect on, is this this getting me where I want to go with this kid? Is this leading them to where I think they need to be? And if it's not working, it's probably time for some new trial and error or to consult the resource or come up with some new ideas. All right. Awareness, attitude, and action. So down to C, calm. Am I calm enough to parent effectively in this moment? How many people have lost their calm parenting? <laughs> I think that's everybody. Professional. Yeah. <laughs> and those who didn't raise their hand, you get to teach the class next time. Yeah. Right. Um, are they calm enough to learn effectively in this moment? Well, am I calm enough to teach? Are they calm enough to learn? Because it's really easy. Done plenty of these lectures when both of us are really upset. And what was taken away from that? Nothing. Frustration. (laughs) Frustration, guilt, more anger, hostility. There's really almost nothing gained from it. And so if I could take those moments back, I would. And so asking ourselves, am I calm enough to be helpful and effective? Are they calm enough to learn? And I think both of those are pretty important. Um, And I put here, as we've already stated, when a child is angry, it easily triggers our anger, which makes it feel like an emergency when often it is an emergency, right? No, it's often not an emergency. It feels like it. Um, One of the books I have up here is is a workbook, and I found it helpful. I haven't finished it yet. It's not a... um, from a Christian worldview. It, it's not hostile to a Christian worldview either. There's some mention of um, coping strategies that can involve faith, but it's like, what would Jesus do? But then it also has in parentheses, what would Buddha or Muhammad do? So it's, it's an open book. One of the things that I found most helpful about it, though, it's called Peaceful Parents, Happy Kids. And you could, well, we could talk about that more, but using mindfulness and connection to raise resilient, joyful children and rediscover your love of parenting. It's Laura Markham. She's a psychologist, I believe. The thing that I found most helpful about this book is the focus on calming down as the parent. And so if you're in a position where you find yourself quick to react and it's not quite enough to, um, you just really find it hard to slow yourself down enough to respond or you're in a particular circumstance where slowing down would, wouldn't help. There's a lot of strategies in here, and it's a pretty positive focus book. Um, there's challenging moments, but it'll ask you some really good questions that I think can help 
figure out what it is that's getting in the way and help you calm down. So I, I put that one up there as a resource um, for you. This one, and I love the difference in the pictures. So this one, you see, you know, two parents kissing their, obviously, very delightful daughter. I think this one relates to us a little bit more. <laughs> this is a great book cover. I always look at it and think, man, that's a good cover. So the screaming mom. So triggers, exchanging parents' angry reactions for gentle biblical responses. So this book is good. It was developed. Uh, two um, Christian ladies had a blog that they were doing for parents and dealing with anger with their kids. I think they both have three boys. I have three boys, so that's probably why I could relate so well to a lot of these things. Um, it, it talks about triggers. So some of the triggers, let's see if you can relate to any of these. Some external ones, disobedience, backtalk, disrespect, strong-willed children, angry kids, whining and complaining, sibling rivalry, ignoring instruction, lying and deceit, manipulation, and then the laundry list of abbreviations, ADHD, autism, dyslexia, OCD, APD, ODD. You don't have to know what those mean. I could define them for you later if you'd like. But Video game addiction, overstimulation, irresponsible behavior, and then I like the last one. When will they ever change? <laughs> and then internal triggers. Lack of faith, generational habits and patterns of sin, depression, exhaustion, running late, no personal space, going it all alone, challenging relationships with in-laws, lack of support, all the noise, roughhousing, messy homes, the pressures of multitasking, times of transition, caring for sick children and ailing parents, Stress, feelings of guilt. Any of that sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. It's like, oh my gosh, do I really deal with all of that? Uh, yes, yes, we many of us do. So there's, there's, so it's basically kind of structured like a devotional. Has a little prayer at the end, and they have a workbook that goes along with it. That's pretty good too. So that one's called Triggers. So I thought I'd point those out for staying calm. Um, as resources that could be of help to you if, this, if you're really in the thick of this especially. None of us think, speak, or learn effectively when we're feeling overwhelmed. And so it's wise to slow down or even stop completely before we speak into the situation. Any thoughts on staying calm? Anything that we didn't talk about that you find helpful? Deep breathing. Deep breathing. Yes. Yeah, the thing I love about deep breathing is you can do it at any moment. Like you can do it when you're in the midst of a conversation. You can just pause. Can you just give me a moment? Right? You can do it while, okay, just tell me what happened. And then you can be, okay, now I'm going to focus on breathing. You <laughs> <laughs> um, can do it anytime. And the thing um, for staying calm, especially if you're prone to aggressiveness in those moments, it's okay to just take a break. It's okay to take a time out for yourself. Like, I'm just gonna take a break, I'll be back with you in five minutes, 10 minutes, or we'll, we're gonna talk about this later once I've had a chance to calm down. Or you could just take it if you don't even think you're gonna be able to say that without screaming or yelling or punching or kicking or biting. Um, so yeah, it's okay to just remove yourself and calm down. You will probably be thankful that you did that if you're really angry. 
So candor. I added this one um, after getting to this point in Tim Kimmel's book because I found it really helpful. He talked about candor, and he's talking about candor not just as the parent, but to it's okay to expect that from your child. And he calls candor honesty dipped in honor. It's possible to be honest without giving honor, right? I think the example from my son was a good one this morning. Right? You don't want me to tell you? I retaliated, but you don't want me to tell you the truth? You're telling me I should lie? There wasn't much honor in that statement. We can be honest while honoring the needs and insecurities of the child. We can also expect honesty dipped in honor in return, especially when we model it consistently and make our expectations clear. Have any of you done this in any way where you communicate um, with your child or with a child or with your spouse or just with a friend that, that might struggle with this, either telling you the truth or telling you the truth in a way that's honorable to you? We'll get to some of these later too with some of the um, how we structure what we say. Um, and we'll do two more real quick and then we'll take a break. So consistency. Consistency is important. And the questions that I have you ask yourself there is, have you clearly communicated your reasonable expectations in a way they can understand? Why would I put reasonable there? Expectations can be unreasonable. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Any examples of that that you can think of? I can think of um, just numerous examples, honestly, especially with our oldest, where I just expect a little bit more than what he's capable of. And that backfires. And then there's also, have I communicated them? Do they even know what I'm expecting of them in this moment? Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it isn't. Sometimes we're expecting them to read our mind or that we're expecting them to know exactly. I've, I said it. When did you last say it? Two years ago. Oh, well, maybe it's time to have a refresher. We're expecting them to think like adults. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like this is common sense. You should know. I shouldn't have to tell you this. You should know. But like, they're not adults. Mm -hmm. They yeah. haven't learned all these things yet. Amen to that. Yeah. And do they understand the benefits of good behavior and the consequences of poor behavior? Why would I ask that? I think because, well, I kind of related or what popped out in my mind is there's somebody that I know um, who's a little boy and it doesn't matter what the child does, there's a punishment and it's usually severe. Mm -hmm. And so like over the years I've noticed that it just seems like, and it's really hard to like watch because mm -hmm. it just doesn't matter. It's like, well, if I do this, I'm going to get in trouble. And if I, you know, do, and it's just, it's just really tough. But yes. I think it's because then... It just discourages them so much it doesn't give any motivation to try to do the right thing. Absolutely. Well Especially said. Especially if it's being, like the child's being singled out and the other siblings don't get treated like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and you wonder if it's even, that sounds like in two regards, one, un probably unreasonable expectations and then maybe not even clearly communicated. Like, what is it that I actually do to not get in trouble? Yes. or to, And what do I do to get rewarded? Yeah. There is 
because they've been the, rewarded. Yeah, because then the pattern is like I think like how they say that some even negative tension is like better than no attention. Type yeah, you know that mindset. Yep. But I think it goes back to what we were all saying is that kids they just don't think like we do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is if it's just like our culture that thinks that kids should like have a say and mm-hmm. you know kind of I don't know. I mean I think yeah. kids are special and they're very important, but they're also still children. And yep. I try to tell my kids that too. Like I really respect you, but you're the child and I'm the parent but then you don't want to like make them feel small but they still need to know that because my mom always talked about like having boundaries or the child needs to feel safe not and she would tell me like I don't want you guys to think I don't care about you and if I care about you I'm going to make sure you behave and I thought oh well I still don't like it no <laughs> <laughs> that's reasonable yeah but I don't like it <laughs> but it's, it always like every child that I've ever like when I used to be a nanny or whatever, like the, it's just interesting to see how that translates. Mm-hmm. Because when a child is in the position of like in charge, it just is like the parent is like trying to submit and like, okay, master, like what do I do now? And it just doesn't work that way because mm-hmm. they're kids. Mm-hmm. You know, they're gonna say that they want candy for dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's really easy to underestimate um, or overestimate what our kids are capable of in terms of thinking. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like you put some kind of situation in front of them where it's like, you know, you can have one candy now and, uh, or you can have uh, two candies later if you wait for an hour. And oftentimes what are they going to pick? The one candy now. And then I'm going to try to finagle for that second one. I know you have two candies. Yeah. yeah. Right? So it's like, I'm going to get three candies soon is what they're going to go for. Um but they don't understand that some of the concepts that we're able to understand and just assume as we walk through the world, they don't have. And so we, it is necessary for us to set up certain structures for them to learn to live within and to have rewards for living within it in the way that we were nudging them towards and then consequences for going outside of those limits. The other thing it made me think of too is like I think sometimes when you get in a cycle where one behavior is driving you kind of nuts, you tend to focus on that behavior rather than mm-hmm. finding other behavior, like right. to balance the reward and the yes. consequence, right? Yes. Just leaning a little more this way rather than being like, okay, you're awesome in a lot of these other areas, but in this one area we need to work on it. Yep. I think we can get a little like <laughs> narrowed in on, yeah. on the one thing and forget about rewarding yes. the good stuff along the way. Like the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Yeah. It's really easy right. to focus on that and have that be the one thing that we put all our attention to and then neglect the other things that they are doing really well. So yeah. then we might be discouraging it them. It goes back to that. Like it discourages them mm-hmm. from all the other great things that they're doing because we're not honoring like, the good part. Exactly. Another little nuance of what you're saying too there is what is it? What is the behavior or the action or the thought that I want to replace? Like what is it? Like so you're... You're doing this that I don't like. What is it that I want you to do instead? And how do I, how do I focus on that and reward that? Reward when they do it. Exactly. Catch them being good. Yeah. And then really try to put the emphasis on that versus the negative behavior. Not to say there isn't consequences for the negative, but that can take up too much of our attention. That's a really good point. Yeah, and that's really my summary on this. This one with consistency is. Um, Learning through rewards and consequences works best when we emphasize the positive reinforcement or the reward, the thing that we're trying to give incentive for, um, because this teaches the behavior you want without inviting the rebellion or discouragement with a focus on punishment. 
And rewards and consequences often work best when consistently, that's why I use the word consistency here, consistently applied and closely linked to specific behaviors that are well understood to the child. And that might be an easy sentence to read and an impossible <laughs> sentence to apply. Mm -hmm. It is really hard to have a consistent reward consequence setup. And I totally get it. There's many different ways that I've tried to do little economies, right? Like reward for this, mm -hmm. like ignore that. Okay, that's a consequence, right? And then it's like, what was the thing again? Like, yeah. what, what was I? Is that a... At a one point, a two point, minus two, oh my gosh, I don't know, I'm lost. And then you just take, you stop, right? It's like exercise. It's like, I went to the gym, when did I go to the gym last? I don't know. Oh, it's been months. Felt like yesterday, though. Um, so feel free to reference this, ask me about it, whatever you want, but I know that it can be really discouraging to get that. But if you can, even if you can just find one thing, right? I've found it's really helpful. We have with our boys now, one of them struggles with staying calm, and one of them struggles with being kind. And that's their focus. So I have a system for a kind point for one of them and calm points for the other. And if they get 100, then they get a gift. And so we keep track of it. And that has been the easiest for me versus having multiple things or having it be complex, like calm or kind. And then I can say it really easily, too. It's like, that's a kind point or that's a calm point. And I found that much more easy to consistently apply than, than anything else. Any thoughts on consistency, rewards, consequences? I was going to ask, what if that doesn't work for the child's personality, if they don't care about getting a reward? Then it won't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they, if it, yeah. It, it, it won't. Yeah, you have to find their currency. Well, I think that's what it is then. Cause yeah. I was just thinking of the internet. Yeah, the child. Because I, uh -huh. well, I don't know. I think I'm just old school because... I, and I was raised by a single mom, so maybe that's why she was, like, very firm. But sometimes I think that it's just, like, because, and I, we've done that before, and then I thought, this is turning into a nightmare, because what if you run out of stuff to give them? And sometimes in life, you don't get yeah. a reward. Yep. Like, yep. Right. You know? So that. But I, I do think it still works, because, yep. but like you said, it's, like, finding what the child uh -huh. is kind of, like, responsible. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it would change by age, and it's it's tough to figure out what is it that you actually want. Um, I like in your system, though, it just sounds like you get 100 points, you get a gift, but it sounds sort of like you determine what it is when you get there. Yeah, yeah they pick what they want. And yeah. so, the, so it's like, what are you going to want like for your thing? And then it's item. up yeah, it's up on the top of the thing. And so for one of them, it's like football gear stuff. And then the other one, it's like Lego Hogwarts this or yeah. Lego dinosaur or whatever, right? And so they're thinking about what they want. Say like, oh, I want to have yeah. two hours with you. Exactly. Yeah, we get a movie night. Yeah. And it's always something the parent approves of. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I get whatever I want. No. I don't want to go do that. I don't want to do that. Yeah. No. Whatever, and they don't really. Oh, that would completely defeat the purpose, right? Because we're trying to help them stay within limits, and it's like, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and I would say one thing is that you don't always get rewarded, yes, but the things we consistently do even as adults, there's always a reward. There's a reward, That's right? True. Why do we work? Those things are expected, but yes, there's rewards money, for those Money, right? Yes. Why do we like money? It's a very incentivizing reward, isn't it? Right? Mm. I can do what I want with this. In that case, you can do whatever you want. Hopefully, you've learned some moral yeah. <laughs> morals to guide what you spend your money on. But... 
uh, that's why we're doing this hard work as parents. Yeah, because I think what I was more getting at is like if the child is just motivated by doing that, yeah. not because, it, like what we were talking about with the heart, yeah. like if it doesn't change the inward. Yeah. Um, and I think it's when there's more children in the family. It's like we have a lot of kids in our, just not myself, but like extended family members. And so it's really interesting because a lot of them are the same age mm-hmm. to see like different personalities and dynamics of what works with one. Yeah. I've, I've also thought about the idea too. Like, so I like that with, with the system we have seems to work well for them. And one is it's the same for both of them because there's the sibling rivalry. And then the other thing is that there's delayed gratification, right? So it's like, yeah. you got to get a hundred points it's not that it's like you get 10 points and then you get it and then it's just like, oh, well, I can take off for a while because this toy is going to hold me over for a month yes. or something. It takes long enough to where you really have to be vigilant in order to get it. And do you deduct points? I do not deduct points. It's just an addition thing. Yes, because if you deduct points, then it sort of takes away fair. from the sure. sense that you did something that is going to stand. Yeah. Yeah. But there's other th- other consequences for, for inappropriate behavior. Okay. Yeah. Good questions. So this is the last one, and then we'll take a brief break and then finish up with kind of rapid fire on the language stuff. And that's actually okay because the stuff that I gave you at the end of your handout is really just some quotes that I gave that you could try, um, but we can talk about it and, and think through it together. And then I put the last one as trust. And the reason why I picked trust is because I think many of us, if we got digging deeper together, we would probably say that something that we really want, we, sometimes we absolutely just want our kids to leave, right? But we also want them to come back, yeah. right? We don't want them to just say bye-bye, never see you again, right? We want them to come visit. We want them to come visit. We want them to come tell us about their lives. I think we want them to lean on us when they're struggling, right? Yes. We don't want to find out too late that they've been suffering or that they're just that they're not doing well. And so we want them to leave our homes with a sense of trust. And I think that's partly why we set limits on ourselves for how we respond in anger, how much we inflict consequences, how much we do rewards, how we guide them. We want them to do well in their lives. And so I put here a secure, loving relationship is rooted in trust. Trust between you and the child and between you and Christ. And so how you're cultivating this with your child, how are you cultivating this with your child and with God? Are you trusting in God, and I put a quote from Paul Tripp here, to use you as an instrument in shaping a human soul? This is a quote that I have by my bed to convict me and remind me that anytime I'm interacting with my kids, I'm shaping a human soul. And that is a powerful concept for me. Any questions before we take a five-minute break and then finish up with 15 minutes together? All right, we'll take a quick brain break, and we'll come back at about 2 o'clock. All right, in the home stretch here, you've almost made it. Um, All right, so I have two more sections here for us, and it's I titled them Practicing. So practicing the language of emotions and practicing strategies to engage feelings. Um, And so we're going to kind of breeze through this part here, but I I led up to an exercise. I think that to better understand emotions like anger, we need new ways of thinking about our experiences and organizing them, organizing how we think and speak about it. Have you ever seen a feelings list or a feelings chart? 
I got a couple resources here that are kid friendly. Um, this is like a, a, a wheel, feelings wheel that's geared towards kids. So you usually will see like some main emotions or primary emotions like sadness, anger, scared, excited, happy, disgust. And it's got the little faces to kind of help identify it because kids might not know what that is. And then some little in the middle of them, there's different versions of it. Like so for, um, for angry, it's got annoyed or fury or rage. Um, probably not going to use, the kids aren't probably going to use words like irritable or I might say grumpy, right? Um, I had one kid ask me uh, when we got in the car actually after last night, are you grumpy? <laughs> I said, no, I got a headache. It's okay. And I, I thought about that. I was like, oh, I wonder. So I've been grumpy before and you've probably picked up on that. So you know more about feelings and maybe I give you credit. Um, I picked, printed out this one. It's just kind of fun. It's got the inside out people and it's got their different, you know, labeling their feelings. Sometimes media can help you to kind of identify feelings, name feelings. I think that can be helpful. You know, when you're feeling a certain way, what's the word for that feeling? Because when you start putting it into words, it can help you reflect on what it is you're feeling and then what you might do as a result. And this I find helpful. This is from, a, a, I think, a psychologist, Oreen Wagner. It's the feeling thermometer. And so it's like, how much are you feeling it? One, it's like, this is easy, and then it goes up to out of control. And so I find it helpful to start rating things, because sometimes people, have you ever come across somebody where it's like, if you ask them, like, how, what are you feeling? And then they tell you something totally different than what you're expecting. Like, they're smiling. It's like, how are you feeling today? Hateful. <laughs> oh, I didn't guess that. I would have people, I had somebody who I met with who would have feelings and just had the same kind of, you know, happy-go-lucky conversational, like, so I check in, like, so for, for anxiety, what are you feeling? Like zero to 10, 10. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to start checking in with you more regularly because it does not come across. And so that was a good conversation and helped me to start scaling where they're at because you might have some, you might have a kid who can keep it all in, but then the next moment they're exploding and you didn't know that before that they were 10 out of 10 anger. They were just trying to figure out what they were going to do with it until they snapped. <laughs> so if you can use sometimes a rating scale like this can help you get a sense of before, right? You know, that seemed like a pretty hard conversation or that was a tough moment you just had there. Zero to 10, where are you at with anger? And if you, you can just say zero to 10, right? Once you start using this and you can say, oh, well, it's getting pretty tough, right? So a seven. And then it can be a resource to you to get a sense of how upset somebody is. Um, so I, just in your own heads, I was going to have this as a group activity, but for the sake of time, I'll just give you um, an overview of what I was getting at here. I gave an exercise to, to organize and describe a recent experience of an emotion using this template. So such and such situation happened. Then I thought this. Then I felt this. Then I did this. So... I got stuck in traffic, then I thought, why can't we get better roads? <laughs> then I felt angry at the government, and then I wrote a letter to the governor, right? Um, I'm sure you can come up with your own situations there, right? So, like, try to reflect on moments and see if you can put it into this template. Like, so, let's say you yelled. It's like, okay, so I got the did, but let's go back and figure out what was the situation what was I thinking than what I felt? I assume, not because I necessarily think I have proof for it, but 
I assume what's called the cognitive model of emotions. And what that means is that essentially every feeling we have is linked to some kind of thought or interpretation or perception. And you kind of saw that a little bit with Jay's stuff, right? Because what was this, who was feeling anger? What did they perceive the wrong was? What were they desiring, right? And so there was some interruption of something they wanted. So if, if we don't want to get home, traffic's not such a bad thing, right? Like, great, I get to listen to my audio book longer. What happened? Woo, I got stuck in traffic. But I finished my book. Right? But it's like, I got to get home because I got to do this and that and this and that. Then it's like, traffic is the worst thing in the world, right? And so there's always some kind of thought, in my opinion, to the situation. So if you can figure out the thought, then it makes more sense of the emotion, and then it makes sense of the action. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, what do you do with the kids who just say, I don't know? Like, even when you're trying to figure oh, it yeah. out, and you're trying yeah. to, you know, why did you do that? What's going on with you? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe, so, they're, maybe uh, they're already in the emotion, or they're still in the emotion in that moment. Yeah. Right? And so, they can't see it. So maybe they can't see it, right? I just did it. And so I'd be curious if, if you waited or if you came back to it, if you helped them sort of lay out the context, yeah. right? So like, okay, so this was happening, this was happening, this was happening, and then this happened, and then you did that. I wonder if you were thinking this. Is that, like you can kind of pose it as a question yeah. to them and see if they can be like, oh yeah, I could see that. That's often what I'm doing with my clients is they did something and they don't really know why they did it or they were feeling something and they don't really know why they're feeling it. I'm trying to figure out what the thinking is that's influencing it. Because yeah. when you can adjust the thinking into perspective, then it can shift the emotion and the action that happens as a result. Does that answer yeah. that question a little bit? Okay, good question. So I put in here, how easy or difficult was that? So if in your own time, you, you try to sit with this, um, I encourage you to kind of check in with yourself. How hard is it to identify the sequence of events? Or what is it that's hardest for you to notice? Your thought? Is it hard to notice what situation's triggering it? And then maybe that's something that if you pay more attention to, you can start to figure out what is it that's starting to set me into an emotion or what is it that's starting to set this child into the emotion. And then you can, you know, adjust that. You can adjust the situation potentially. You might be able to work with the thinking. But once you're in the feeling and action part, it's much harder to intervene, right? And I've just put here that I think children need our help to organize and describe what they're feeling and why they feel that way. Kids aren't, in my opinion, typically reflecting on their thought philosophically, right? It's like stimulus response, right? This happened and that happened, right? He hit me, so I hit him. Okay. So <laughs> let's talk about that. <laughs> no, it just happened. I did it. You want me to lie to you? Um, and I put here to remember children are made in the image of God, have a valuable voice, and deserve our care and attention to understand their range of emotions. And you wouldn't be here if you weren't trying your best and wanting to get better. And so I want to encourage you in that, that um, just by being here today and thinking about these things, reflecting on them, it's a really great thing. And I think it's going to be a gift to the kids you interact with. So this last part, we got about five minutes, and then I want to honor your time. I put a number of different strategies. I didn't put an acronym on this one, so you don't have to memorize it. Um, for engaging feelings. The book um, Untangling Emotions uh, is is a really good book and I recommend it to you. They talk about engaging feelings. They're not something that's really, it's a gift from God. They are created 
and they're a part of us for a reason. So we can use our feelings and, and engage children in their feelings, and then that can be a resource to them later in their life. You don't want to have a kid that doesn't feel. What would be the problem with that? They probably wouldn't do much, right? Be pretty detached, passive, not really interested in much, and you don't want that, but you also don't want all their feelings to just be controlling their lives. And so we want to engage those and help them um, manage those effectively. So our automatic response to anger is usually not calm. So a lot of these things that I have in here have a heavy dose of calm to them. A state of adequate calm is necessary for us to think before we act. If we're too upset, we're going to have a really hard time intervening effectively, typically. So I have the, uh, this comes from that um, book, uh, Peaceful Parent, Happy Kids. And this is one of the things that I do really agree with that she says is, um, uh, she talks about stop, drop, and breathe. So remember, stop, drop, and roll, right? So stop means stop what you're doing. Drop means drop your agenda. And then breathe means just breathe. So stop, drop, breathe. So we're often, it, we can get in that stimulus response sort of mindset, right? You did something, okay, you're going to have it, right? And so, okay, stop, drop that plan. Yep, I get it. They did that, drop it. <laughs> and breathe and let your thinking catch back up. I have a, an illustration over there if you're interested on what happens in our brain when we're angry. It essentially shuts off the part of our brain that thinks. <laughs> And the part of our brain that forms memories or draws from memories, right? So it's like, you know, I keep getting back in this situation. Everything from that conference, none of it was there. It's, yes, it's probably not because that part of your brain isn't really working in the moments when you're flooded with emotion. So if you can give yourself a chance to calm down, you're going to have much greater likelihood that you're going to apply some of the stuff that you've learned. That's also why stop, drop, and breathe is helpful because it's like stop, drop, and what? And if you, even if you're just stop, drop, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do, you're probably in a better place than if you don't do anything at all. Um, and this is, I promised uh, my son that I would share this quote, and I thought it was an excellent quote because I sat on the side and I was like, you know, what would you, I'm going to be teaching a class with parents. What would you say to the parents that, what do you need? When you're angry, what is it you need from me or you need from a parent? And his, firm, his first answer, I put it together here, but his first answer was, be calm but strict. I thought that was cool. Strict, huh? And then he changed it to firm. <laughs> Maybe not strict. Because he's also accused us as being too strict. But be calm, and he then be said, be calm and nice but strict and firm. So I combined his two things. And I thought that was a really helpful way because it was recognizing that he knows he needs, he needs guidance. He needs me to set limits. He needs his mom to set limits. It's okay that we have rules and we expect our kids to follow them. And it's also a good idea to be nice and calm, even if we're not feeling it. <laughs> I thought that was a really good answer. So, so in my opinion, being calm invites cooperation. And being firm makes sure that the limit is clear. So we're not betraying the rules that we've talked about, the things we're trying to have our kids do by not enforcing them, right? It, it means much less if, if we say something and then we don't follow through with whatever that thing is we're trying to teach. It's just going to feel like words. Kids need our help containing their emotions and not causing damage based on them. 
Emotion regulation and appropriate social communication of upset feelings is a crucial skill for adult life. Would you agree with that? And so I go in here. I'm going to leave those ones to you, but I talk about engaging by listening, engage by restating with compassion and empathy, just saying you're feeling this or it sounds like this upsets you or I can't imagine how that must feel. I like that one. If you really don't know what they're feeling, just having that compassion of, man, I can't imagine how how this must feel right now. You don't even have to find the right feeling word. You're just showing that you have, you care, that they're upset. You can model calm while guiding. So this one's like, the guidance would be, you know, when we're upset, we sometimes need to take a break. So saying something like, as soon as you're talking, like I'm talking, then we can figure this out. And really being intentional to model that calm with them. Because they might not understand, be calm, but they might be able to see what you're doing and you can bring attention to that. As soon as you're able to talk to me like I'm talking to you, we can figure this out. You can assure them that you want to hear what they have to say and you can see that they're upset. And you can assure them that you're here for them. You just need to, they need to be able to talk like you in order to be able to really figure this out. And some, it's okay to leave them with their feelings temporarily, right? Like, I'm just going to give you some time to feel what you're feeling, and then we'll come back to this. Any thoughts on those ones? There's kind of like age appropriateness to that though, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, there's a neighbor that I have and her kids will like slap her in the face and like mm. do abusive behavior. And they're, yeah. I think like maybe five and seven or something like that. Mm. And so like when they're playing in our yard, I just say, period, like I don't tolerate that for my kids. So you can not do that here. Yeah. Or, but she said, well, I guess I'm just supposed to ignore the behavior. And it's like, no. So I think that that's like obviously mm -hmm. age appropriateness. Cause yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it terrifies me because as he's getting older, the stuff yes. that I see them doing, it's just like, yeah. oh, I don't want to be there if he burns down the neighborhood. Yeah. I think <laughs> ignoring the behavior only works if it's attention seeking behavior. So if it's attention seeking, I'm just going to be annoying until you give me attention, then yeah, that can be ignored. But that isn't for attention, right? That's a power play. Yeah. So um, yeah, there's got to be a response to that and I think it can be calm and direct but so like I have something in here um, it's okay to feel like in that situation it might be it's okay to feel upset it's not okay for you to hit me this is the consequence yeah. right and that should be some kind of consequence should be kind of predetermined pre-planned and consistently applied in their currency right like we talked about earlier what is their currency this is the consequence and it has to be something that matters to them or else it's not going to work if they get upset when you do that that's actually a good sign. It's a sign that what you're taking from them is something that they want and is going to make that behavior more less likely. Okay, well, let's wrap up a little bit late, but I'm going to just wrap up in quick prayer and then we'll go back out there with Pastor Jay. Oh, yeah. Could you repeat that sentence that you just said about, like, you are calm and then you give a directive to the other person? Yeah. Uh, if you can, like, speak to me just like I speak to you that yes. is, would you repeat the wording I, I just love the wording that how people say things that one right there yeah you you actually got it as, as soon as you're able to speak to me like I'm speaking to you 
then we can figure this out. And you say it slowly, calmly, put a few pauses in there. And then the other one, which is further down there on that page, is it's okay for you to feel this. It's not okay for you to do this. And so because you did this, here's this is the consequence. And you can do that calmly and directly too. You. Yeah, you bet. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time and the engagement. I'm so grateful to have fellow parents and grandparents and those working to shepherd these kids. I'm grateful that I'm not alone. And I'm most grateful of all for you and your grace that you forgive us for our mistakes, for how our anger goes wrong, and then you guide us in the way everlasting. We pray that you would reach into our children's lives and reach into ours and help us to follow you um, into the way everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.